Amen. Well, good evening, church. So glad to be back with you. It's a wonderful passage we just read together, isn't it? And I want to thank you again for allowing us the privilege to be a part of this weekend and excited about this youth fellowship. I really think the Lord's going to do some wonderful things in days ahead and uh, thankful for your church and your pastor and uh, the staff here and folks. And I just want to say this. Thank you for praying for us. I've spoken with people today that said we're praying for you. And um, you know what that means is we love you. We care about you. And uh, I can't tell you how we need those prayers. We'll be in South Africa in just a few weeks, and uh, we need you, need you to pray for us. Looking forward to preaching the gospel there and seeing kids get saved and uh, encouraging pastors and church members there in South Africa and then uh, on from there. And so thank you so much for praying for us. First Samuel chapter 30, verses 1 through 6. We just read, did you notice verse 6 is kind of our text tonight, the end of it. David encouraged himself and the Lord. Church, the devil uses a lot of tools to try to distract and discourage God's people, doesn't he? First uh, Peter chapter 5, we were mentioning this to the teens. Uh, we have a real enemy, don't we? And he's powerful. He's on the move. He's working. Uh, he's succeeding. And a lot of homes, a lot of lives, a lot of Christian families. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Uh, I heard someone say recently that the way the devil uh, tries to get at God is by harming his children. And God has a soft spot for his children, doesn't he? He loves us. And uh, boy, when he can, the devil can hurt us, then he hurts the Lord. I think there's some tools the devil uses. He uses doubt, doesn't he? Uh, we live in a day of, of doubt, a day where uh, even churches in America right now are doubting the inerrancy of Scripture and of the truths of God's Word. Can we trust the Old Testament? Do we have to fix it? Do we need to change it? He uses doubt. I think he uses deception. Uh, we were preaching to the teens about this yesterday. Genesis chapter 3 <laughs> Uh, the very first way that the devil came at man, uh, he deceived Eve in the garden, didn't he? Uh, this fruit won't kill you. It's actually for your good. And so he uses deception. But I think a tool that the devil often uses and uh, we have to learn to deal with is the, this uh, tool of discouragement. In fact, I heard a story. It's not a true story, but it goes something like this. The devil was having a yard sale and he put some of his tools up uh, for sale. And on one of the tools, it kind of had an interesting shape, and it had a sticker on it that said, not for sale. And so someone approached the devil, and they said, what is the deal with this tool? I mean, uh, all the others are for sale, but not this one. And so the devil responded, well, I can spare my other tools, but I cannot spare this one. It's the most useful implement that I have. It is called discouragement. And with it, I can work my way into hearts otherwise inaccessible. When I get this tool into a man's heart, the way is open to plant anything there that I may desire. Dr. Jim Shetler is one of my favorite preachers. I mean, if you just had a little bit of energy, you know, I mean, the man's just amazing. If you've ever heard him, you know, he's full of life and energy. He makes the Bible come alive. He's wonderful. And I listened to a message and he uh, talked about the doctrine of disappointment. What a thought. And here's what he had to say. He said, disappointment, which is unfulfilled expectations. You know what that is? A part of life. That's what that is. Having an expectation that doesn't uh, get fulfilled. He said, disappointment can often lead to doubt. That is where we begin to question. And then doubt leads to depression. That is where we wonder if there is any hope. Depression leads to despair, where, where we believe there is no hope, and despair leads to death. Boy, I tell you, this idea of discouragement is everywhere, isn't it? Can, can I just tell you this, church, and many of you know this, you've been saved much longer than I have. Discouragement is a part of life. At some point in everybody's life, you're going to get discouraged. 
something's not going to go your way. You lose a job or finances aren't what they ought to be or someone in the ministry lets you down or you thought something was going to happen and you feel like the Lord failed you in some way. Discouragement is a part of life, church. We must learn to deal with discouragement. And in 1 Samuel chapter 30, I think David can help us with that. Here's a man, oh my, who was in a, one of the darker moments of his life, I think. David certainly had many dark moments, moments of struggle, I think, after his sin that he committed. And, and as Nathan confronts him with that, that certainly was a dark moment of his life. But here's a moment where it seems like everything in the world has turned against him, literally. His family is gone. The people uh, that, 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 that he loved were taken. You know, all throughout the Bible, you find Christians, believers, who had to deal with discouragement. I think about Elijah when I think about this, don't you? Elijah, wonderful prophet of God, calling down fire from heaven, consuming uh, the, not just the wood, but the altar itself. And yet after that, Elijah dealt with discouragement. I think depression. I think Peter struggled with discouragement. After he denied the Lord, the Bible says he wept bitterly. He, he was sorrowful over his sin, and, and no doubt he was wondering, am I done? Have I gone too far? Have I done what Judas did and betrayed the Lord, and now there's no place for me? I think Peter had to learn to deal with discouragement. In this story, in 1 Samuel chapter 30, if I can give us just a little bit of context, David is running for his life from Saul. And now think about this, church. Saul is, is David's king. And David loves him. This is the man that David served, that he fought Goliath for, that he played the harp for. And he's turned on David, and David's having to run for his life. David is living with the Philistines. Those are the enemies of God. But he's living with them. And even that decision, we'll see in just a few minutes, when David made the decision to live with the Philistines, it was made in a moment of discouragement, a moment of doubt in David's life. David could not go to battle. Notice 1 Samuel chapter 29. If you're in 1 Samuel 30, notice verse, uh, chapter 29 and verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered together all their armies to Aphek, and the Israelites pitched by a fountain which is in Jezreel. And the lords of the Philistines passed on by hundreds and by thousands, but David and his men passed on in the re-reward uh, with Achish. Here David is living amongst these people, and they're going to war. And so David says, listen, if I'm going to live with these people, and they've given me a city and a town, surely I at least owe them uh, 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 the, 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 the responsibility of fighting with them. Notice verse 3, then said the princes of the Philistines, what do these Hebrews hear? And Achish said unto the princes of the Philistines, is not this David, the servant of Saul, the king of Israel, which hath been with me these uh, days and these years, and I have found no fault in him since he fell unto me unto this day. And the princes of the Philistines were wroth with him, and the, uh, the princes of the Philistines said unto him, Make this fellow return, that he may go again to his place which thou hast appointed him. In other words, they said, We're not fighting with him. He cannot be a part of this battle. He might turn against us, so he couldn't even go to battle. On top of that, David comes home to his town of Ziklag here at as he comes, he uh, begins to notice the smoke billowing up from the town. And maybe in the distance he was thinking, well, surely that couldn't be our town. Surely, surely something's going on. And as he, as he climbs the hill or as he gets close enough to see, he realizes, no, this is our town. Our, our town is on fire. And no doubt, probably the men began to run, fearful for their families, fearful for what had, what had, what had happened. And he comes into the city and everyone's gone. His wives are gone, his, his family's gone, his, 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 his men, his faithful men that have followed him, their families are gone, their city has been burnt. And then on top of all that, did you notice verse number 6? Did you notice what happened on top of all that? Chapter 30 and verse number 6, the people were greatly distressed for the people spake of stoning him. 
the only people in the world that have been on David's side, David's mighty men, right? Isn't that what we call them? These few hundred men that, man, they, they understand David is God's anointed and they've been following him in a battle and they're on his side and they've encouraged him in the Lord. And those very men are so distressed that they pick up stones and they're thinking, boy, David, maybe he's not it after all. Can I just tell you, when it rains, it pours sometimes, doesn't it? And here's David and the world has turned against him. So what did David do? Well, verse six, he encouraged himself in the Lord. Church, you ever had your battery go dead on your car? Isn't that a blessing? You know, when you wake up to go to work and, and you get the click, 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 you know, and, and it won't turn over. You know what you have to do? You got to plug it in, don't you? You got to bring the charger out. I want to give you tonight, if I can, from 1 Samuel chapter 33, outlets that we can plug our lives into to find encouragement, to find that spiritual charge that we need to. Can I say, church, one of the most humbling things about being an evangelist is I walk into churches not knowing where people are. I don't know where anyone is in your life or what needs or who's heard bad news this week of cancer or lost a loved one this week or, or, or dealing with struggles in your marriage or, or, or your life. I don't know where anybody's at, but can I tell you, the Lord does. I love what pastor said, nobody's here by accident. I just think the Lord's led us to this this evening, and I hope God's people learn to deal with discouragement tonight. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Speak to us from your precious word. Lord, in these outlets that we see, we can plug our life into. Help those that are downtrodden and discouraged, maybe even doubting the faith, losing hope. Lord, help them to get back to these outlets. God, you've given us a way to encourage ourselves in the Lord, and so teach us about that tonight. We pray this in your name. Amen. Notice the first outlet, church, if you will. That's the outlet, what I'm going to call tonight the outlet of God's Word. Uh, chapter, excuse me, verse number 6, David encourages himself in the Lord. The rest of the chapter, I think, explains how he did that. Notice verse number 7. And David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. And Abiathar brought thither the ephod to David. What in the world is an ephod? When you study it out, it's interesting to know that the ephod was a priestly garment. And they would only wear this garment. They would only adorn themselves in this garment when they were going to get in the presence of the Lord. In fact, one uh, Bible dictionary described the ephod this way. The ephod was a priestly garment connected with seeking a word from God. From its earliest forms and uses, it appears that the ephod was associated with the presence of God or those who had a special relationship with God. It is portrayed as a source of divine guidance. You know what David said in the moment of his discouragement? He said, I've got to get with God. I've got to get into his presence i got to get alone with him. I, I've got to hear from him. Church, when I think about it in our day, we don't say bring the ephod, okay? Uh, we, we don't say that. But you know what we say is we need to get in God's word. We need to get alone with God. We need to hear from God. We need to have our hearts encouraged. We need to plug our lives into the outlet of God's word. In an amazing church, how many places we run in moments of discouragement. You know, 1 Peter says that we're to cast all our cares on him. I'm afraid, church, sometimes we cast all of our cares on Facebook. Or all of our cares on social media. And, and sometimes we ask people to pray for us, and we've never stopped to pray ourselves. Church, you know where we ought to run? To the Lord. Get in His presence. Get alone with Him. You're dealing with discouragement. You don't know what to do, and life is you overwhelmed. Get with God. Get in His Word. You know, a couple things we get from the Word of God. We go to the Word of God, church, first of all, for food. This is spiritual nourishment to our souls. I like to eat. <laughs> I'm a Baptist. And uh, my, my grandmother loves to cook, and that's, that's a blessing. I think it's her spiritual gift. I'm not sure I can prove that biblically, but the woman is amazing. And, and I like to eat. Church, you know what? Our souls need fed, too. 
Can I tell you even this? Sometimes as a preacher, Brother Kevin, I, I love preaching. I really do. But sometimes I just need to listen to somebody preach. Sometimes I just have to get something on my phone and say, somebody feed me, man. Somebody give me the Bible. John chapter 6 and verse 63, it is a spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. But the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 2 and 3 is newborn babes. Desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Jeremiah chapter 15 and verse 16. Thy words were found and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart. For I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. Church, it's amazing to me so many times when people get discouraged, they drop out of church. So many times when people don't see the Lord in their life, they begin to doubt. And so there's less church or less uh, spiritualness in their life and less of the Word of God. You know, the exact opposite should be true. We need more of the Word. I need greater encouragement and greater fellowship. The Word of God is there for food. You know what else the Word of God is there for? For my faith. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Think about it. Acts chapter 4 and verse 4. Howbeit many of them which heard the Word believe. I just want to tell you, church, my faith is not always what it should be. Anybody in here like that? I, I can totally rate, relate with a man who cried out, Lord, help my unbelief, okay? Because that's me sometimes. But I tell you this, when I go to the Bible, I get encouraged. Like when I read about Israel crossing the Red Sea, and I think that's the same God that, that, that is alive in me today. When I read about a David defeating Goliath, and I think, boy, I have giants, and they're big and ugly, and taller than 10 feet sometimes, when I read about God using Esther to save her people or the walls of Jericho tumbling down, when I read about Nehemiah getting those walls built in, in just, what, what, 52 days, record time. When I read about Daniel spending the night with the lions then and coming out, I read about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the Lord coming through the fire with them. You read about Jonah getting a second chance. God forgives and, and gives us opportunities to serve him again. I read about Peter walking on the water or Pentecost and thousands getting saved. How about read the book of Revelation? You find out that Jesus wins. <laughs> I'm just telling you, church, if you're discouraged and, and you're downtrodden and, and life is against you, you've got to get back in the Word of God. There is no book like the Bible. There is no podcast that does what the Bible does. There's no self-help seminar that does what the Bible does in the life of the believer. There was a gentleman who was packing his suitcase. And uh, finally a friend came in. He said, are you done, man? Come on, we got to go. He said, well, I'm nearly done packing. Let's see, all I've got left to pack is a guidebook, a lamp, a microscope, a volume of fine poetry, a few biographies, a package of old letters, a sword, a hammer, and a set of tools. This friend said, well, you're crazy. You need a few more suitcases if you're going with all that. The man grabbed his Bible and he put it in his suitcase and zipped it up and he said, I'm all done. Church, can I tell you, the Bible has everything you need. We don't have to reinvent it. We don't have to change it. Boy, there's a movement going on in our country right now where we think there's certain parts of the Bible we need to do away with and they're old-fashioned and they don't exist. Listen, you know who has a problem? It's not the Bible that has a problem. It's us that have the problem. The Bible doesn't need changing. We need changing. President Ronald Reagan said this, within the covers of one single book, the Bible, are all the answers to all the problems that face us today, if only we would read and believe. Church, if you're discouraged, don't run from God. Run to God. He is the God that's in the midst of the storm. Aren't you thankful for that? He's, in the, God, he's the God that when the disciples were on, on the Sea of Galilee and it's tossed, he, he wasn't running away. He was there. He was present. He saw them the whole time run to the outlet of God's word. I want you to look at a second outlet that David plugged his life back into. 
not only the outlet of God's word, God's presence here. David had to get along with God. Secondly, David plugged his life back into the outlet of God's will. Notice verse 8. It's an interesting verse to me. And David inquired at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered, this is God here, Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. Boy, this is interesting. Why would David even need to pray about that? God, should I go after the enemies that have taken my family and get them back? God, should I go after these heathen people that are wicked and will do all kinds of ungodly deeds with our family and our possessions? Should we go after them and get them? Church, you know what? I think David came to a point in his life where he was tired of moving without God. And he was tired of making decisions without ever considering God's will. In fact, take your Bible, if you will, turn back to 1 Samuel chapter 27. 1 Samuel chapter 27. And I want you to see how David even got in this position living with the Philistines. 1 Samuel chapter 27. And notice verse 1. Church, I believe that it is very possible it was never even God's will for him to be right where he was in Ziklag with the Philistines. I don't think David prayed about it. I don't think David considered the Lord. I think in a moment of discouragement, he said, I've got to do something. I've got to make a decision. And so he did. Notice 1 Samuel chapter 27, verse 1. And David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines. And Saul shall despair of me to seek me anymore. In any coast of Israel, so shall I escape out of his hand. Here David is in a time of discouragement. And he's thinking, i got to do something. i got to fix this. I, I, I can't just stay where I am. And so he lives with the Philistines. Notice, for a length of time, look on down to verse number 7, if you will. If you're in 1 Samuel 27, notice verse 7. And the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was a full year and four months. 16 months of his life, this was not an overnight stay or a week or two. He is camped. He is dwelling here. He has put roots down in a foreign land, in a place that God has never intended for him to be. And finally, church, I think in some sense, David finally comes to himself. Maybe this time before I make a move, maybe this time before I, I make a decision, I should stop and pray and make sure I'm right in the center of God's will. Can I tell you, church, a very discouraging place to be is the place where we find ourselves out of God's will. There's no peace. There is no contentment. There, there's no fulfillment in that place in our life. And so David says, you know what? I'm not going anywhere. I won't make any decision until I know it is God's will. I'll show you a couple of ways he plugged himself in this outlet. First of all, he prayed about God's will. James chapter 1 and verse 5, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that he give it to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. Jeremiah 33, 3, Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. James 4, verse 2, Ye lust and have not, ye kill, and desire to have, and cannot obtain. Ye fight in war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 17, Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Church, we ought to pray about God's will. We sang the song just a moment ago, and I'm so thankful. Rejoice in the Lord. You know, in those times of our life where we go through trials, God wants to improve us. Someone has said, God, we often want God to do a removing job, but God wants to do an improving job. God wants to calm the storm inside of us sometimes before he calms the storm around us. And in the midst of those storms and, and those times of discouragement, we ought to stop and say, God, what is it in my life you want to change? God, am I outside of your will? Is, is there something in me that you want to do? So pray about his will. Secondly, pursue his will. David finds out from God, yep, 
David, this is exactly what I want you to do. And so notice verse 8. Man, David goes hard to it. And David inquired at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? God gives him the thumbs up to go. And notice verse 9. So David went, he and the 600 men that were with him, and came to the brook Besor, where those that were left behind stayed. But David pursued. He's going hard after God's will. God said, do it. And I'm ready. I want to be in his will. He and 400 men for 200 uh, 200 abode behind which were so faint that they could not go over the brook Besor, and they found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David and gave him bread and he did eat and they made him drink water and they gave him a piece of a cake of figs gave him a fig newton is what it seems like there doesn't it and two clusters of raisins and when he had eaten his spirit came again to him and for he had for he had eaten no bread nor drunk any water three days and three nights watch how God is working here verse 13 and David said unto him to whom belongest thou and whence art thou? And he said, I'm a young man of Egypt, servant to an Amalekite. My master left me because three days ago I fell sick. We made an invasion upon the south of the, of, the, of the Carathites and upon the coast, which belongeth to Judah, and upon the south of Caleb. And we burned Ziklag with fire. And David's thinking, yeah, I know you did. Notice verse 15, and David said to him, canst thou bring me down to this company? And he said, swear unto me. By God, that thou wilt neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will bring thee down to this company. Isn't it amazing, church, how but even before we know it, God is making provision for us to be right in his will. I mean, this man fell sick three days ago, and, and David is trying to be in God's will. And God is making provision all along the way so that David can find these Amalekites and get right back everything that he lost. Boy, when we find the Lord's will, we ought to do it, shouldn't we? How dare us pray about something and then God show us what to do and then us not do it. Boy, that's a shame, isn't it? Galatians chapter 5, excuse me, Galatians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Grace be to you and peace from God the Father, from the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. You know, in the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus stopped and he, he asked, asked his Father, Lord, if, if it's possible, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Isn't it something, church, you and I have salvation because he prayed about God's will and then he did it. Boy, what a powerful example for us. And I tell you a couple of thoughts about the will of God. Church, don't get ahead of the will of God. You'll be doing what you want to do. You ever been there? I mean, you just start rolling and you think you know where the Lord's leading and so you just stop praying. You know, I know this is right and this decision and this. And all of a sudden you end up ahead of where the Lord wanted you to be. Don't get behind the will of God. You'll be doing what you wished you had done. Ever been there before? Boy, I wish I'd have prayed. Boy, I wish I'd have sought the Lord before I made that decision or got in this place. Don't get to the sight of the will of God. You'll be doing what you never thought you would do. Stay right in the center of the will of God and you'll be faithful and true. Think about it. God's will is not some hidden mystery that God never intends for us to find. I believe with all my heart God intends for us to live right in the presence of his will, right in the middle of it. He's not trying to hide it from us, so find it and follow it and fulfill it and finish it. Just stay right in God's will. Here's David, and he's discouraged. And finally he stops and says, God, before I do anything, let me just be in your will for my life. And if that's in the middle of a storm, that's okay, Lord. If that's your will and that's your plan, I just want to be where you want me to, where you want me to be. Notice David has plugged himself into the outlet of God's word and the outlet of God's will. Notice a third outlet that David plugs himself into. I'm going to call this outlet tonight, if I can, the outlet of God's winning. God's winning. Notice verse 17, and we'll continue in the story. David is pursuing the Amalekites. He's chasing after them. 
Boy, no doubt in his heart, he's full of faith and full of discouragement and worry at times, thinking, is my family going to be alive? What's going to happen? And So notice verse 17, And David smote them from the twilight even unto the evening of the next day, and there escaped not a man among them, save 400 young men, which which rode upon camels and fled. David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away, and David rescued his two wives, and there was nothing lacking to them, neither small nor great, neither sons nor daughters, neither spoil, nor anything that they had taken to them. David recovered all. Boy, the truth is, church, if the Lord wants you to have something, you're going to have it, aren't you? About all human a perspective this didn't make sense i mean his wives were gone the people should have been slain and destroyed and all those things and yet god had preserved church can i tell you why you can get back in the outlet of god's winning first of all tonight because it's promised it's promised victory is not just potential for us it's promised but thanks be to god which giveth us the victory through our lord jesus christ you're of god little children and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world for whatsoever is born of god overcometh the world and this is the victory that overcometh the world even our faith church can i tell you our god is a winner he never loses he's never lost a battle his will comes true, and he's, he's sovereign and providential over it all. And he's a winner, and he intends for his people and his children to walk in victory. Boy, faith makes great optimists, doesn't it? I was writing recently about Adoniram Judson. You ever studied his life? It's an amazing life, a sacrificial life. Adoniram and his wife left and went to uh, Burma, ended up in Burma eventually becoming missionaries, and they dealt with a lot of discouragement. It took seven years to see their first convert. Can you write, imagine writing missionary letters back to your churches, supporting churches, for seven years with zero reports of anybody getting saved? But it took seven years, and, and, and they suffered great difficulty. They, they lost children. Adoniram's wife would eventually die. At one point, Adoniram Judson was in prison for months and months and months for preaching the gospel. What are you talking about a discouraging place? Here you are. You've left America. You've, you've left your homeland. And, and, uh, and, uh, and, and you've, you, you've gone to a foreign field and you're serving the Lord. And, 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 and hardly anyone's getting saved. And, but you're being faithful. And then you're put in prison for preaching the gospel. God, what are you doing? I'm serving you. I'm laboring for you. And so someone asked him finally, Dr. Judson, what about the prospects of the conversion of the heathen? In other words, how does the work of God look like it's going to get accomplished now? And Dr. Judson responded to that person, the prospects are just as bright as the promises of God. Church, can I tell you, God has promised us victory. There is no temptation taken us, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the, with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear. There, listen, there is nothing we go into in life that God cannot grant victory in. And here is David, and he's pursuing God's will, and he's experiencing God's winning because it's promised. Secondly, not only is it promised, but it's powerful. I want you to watch what happens. I love how the Lord uses this. You know, isn't it amazing how God can turn all things into something that can work for his glory? So notice verse 26, and let's finish the story here. David goes and he recovers all and, and, and he gets his wives back and his family back and his possessions back and the animals are back. Everything's back. And then notice verse 26, and when David came to Ziklag, he sent him the spoil unto the elders of Judah, even to his friends, saying, Behold, a present of you, uh, for you of the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. 
to them which were in Bethel, and to them which were in South Ramoth, and to them which were in Jatir, and to them which were... He just starts sending spoil to all of his friends and all of the people back in Israel. And you know what he's doing? I, I can almost imagine David sticking a little sticky note on it. Hey, here's what my God did. Hey, here, here, here's what my, the victory that my God won. Hey, listen, you may be in a, in a discouraging moment back in your hometown and where you guys are at and your king has gone AWOL and he's, he's crazy and you're wondering what is God doing. Hey, here's just a reminder. Our God is on the winning side. Boy, I tell you what, church, it is amazing to me how you winning can affect other people. You remember the story of David and Goliath. We won't go there for sake of time. David walks into a camp, and all, everybody's knees are shaking because of Goliath. You remember that? Nobody wants to fight him. Saul doesn't want to fight him. David's brothers don't want to fight him. I mean, these are the best warriors uh, that Israel has, and nobody wants to fight him. And all of a sudden, the little shepherd boy runs out there, right? David's the pizza delivery boy. He's bringing bread and cheese, right, to his brothers. And, and, and so he's checking on him. And, and, and David, man, he says, who is this guy? Is there not a cause, boys? I mean, can somebody not find a reason to stand up against this guy and fight him? He's mocking our God. He's blaspheming our God. And so David takes his slingshot, right? And he's got five stones. And he runs and he defeats Goliath. And you know what happens? After everybody watches this Goliath fall and David takes a sword and, and he chops his head off, all of a sudden everybody's got faith. All of a sudden everybody says, man... We've got victory, and look what our God does. And so you read the story. The men start running after the Philistines, and they're pursuing them, and they're having victory. By the way, these are the same ones that were discouraged and were afraid. But when they saw God work a victory in someone else's life, boy, it changed everything, didn't it? Daniel chapter number 3. Nebuchadnezzar is heating up the fiery furnace, right? Seven times hotter. Listen, you think your God is real? You bow down to this idol here, or I'm going to throw you in that furnace. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Bendigo, they take a trip into the fiery furnace, and God is there with them. And the Lord is working in Nebuchadnezzar's life through this, and Nebuchadnezzar sees what happens. And this same man that was just a moment ago blaspheming and, blah, and, and you know, uh, just speaking ill against the God of Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. Daniel chapter 3 says, he says this, Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that every people, nation, and language which speak anything, against, anything amiss against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made a dunghill, because there is no other god that can deliver after this sort. Boy, what a decree! I mean, here's the leader of the most powerful uh, empire at that time in the world, the Babylonian Empire, and he's just mocked and made fun of God. But when those three boys, full of faith, walked through the fire, his tune changed, didn't it? Let me tell you what, anybody says anything against their God, I'm going to chop them in pieces. I'm going to burn their house because there is no God on this earth. We've never seen a God as powerful as this God. Can I just tell you, you may be discouraged tonight, but if you'll experience victory, you don't know whose life God can work through in that. Your winning will encourage other people to win in Christ as well. Can I tell you, moms and dads, your, your, your kids need you to win. They need you not to quit and not get out of church and, and not doubt the Lord or be unfaithful to Him. Grandmas and grand, grand, grandpas, the Lord uh, can use your faithfulness in, in your grandkids' life and in your kids' life. Teens, there are people coming behind you, the, the, the ones that are growing up in children's church, and they're watching you, and if they see you walk away from the faith, what kind of testimony is that to them? 
Well, can I tell you, I love being a youth pastor, Brother Kevin, and Brother Andy was wonderful. But I also knew this, boy, if I, if I walk away and I fail, what's going to hurt these teens? They're watching me. Church, can I tell you, we got to win. Because our God wins, and you get into God's will, and you get back on the winning side. And no, 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 listen, the trial may not disappear. The difficulty may not go away. But my goodness, there can be victory in our heart and life, can't there? The joy of the Lord is our strength. Think about it. May 24th of 1965, a 13 and a half foot boat slipped quietly out of a port in Falmouth, Massachusetts. Interestingly enough, the boat's name was the Tinkerbell. This gentleman set out. He was tired of the ordinary life. He worked in an office and those things for 10 years. And so he had this dream of being the smallest vessel to ever cross the Atlantic Ocean. I don't know if that was a dream or just a, a stupid fairy tale. I don't know, you know, but his wife encouraged him to do it. I don't know what that says about their relationship, you know, but uh, here, here he was. He said, sail, 13 and a half foot boat, heading out of Massachusetts. It was quite the journey, as you can imagine. The trip was not very pleasant. He spent sleepless nights trying to keep the boat afloat. He began to be very sick. His food became tasteless. He was lonely. There were times where storms would come. He literally tied a rope around himself and tied it to the boat, and he would get thrown out of the boat, and he would pull himself back to the boat, and he was just in a mess. It was 78 days at sea. Can you imagine? Finally, he could see England coming in the distance. He had sailed across the Atlantic Ocean, and he began to think that as he got there, he would take a shower, that'd be a good thing to do, and check quietly in a hotel, and then maybe the next day go down to the newspaper, you know, the, the local office, the press office, and see if anybody would even believe his story or be interested in it. Well, as he approached the harbor, he was surprised to find 300 vessels and some 40,000 people waiting to meet him. Word had gotten out. His wife had spread the word, and it, it began to spread. This 13-and-a-half-foot boat is making its way across, and, and they had seen him coming. And so all these ships showed up, and they were blaring their horns and cheering, and 40,000 people watching the Tinkerbell come across the Atlantic Ocean and into the port here in England. Boy, what an amazing thing that must have been to see. Why is that, church? I don't know what it is, but there's something in us. We enjoy, uh, at times, watching other people succeed at things that we think are impossible. Things that maybe we wouldn't try, but boy, if they'll try it and they win, we enjoy watching it and applauding at it and those types of things. Church, can I just tell you, you may feel like you're in a 13 and a half foot boat in the middle of the Atlantic tonight, and there's no way across, but God has given us outlets to plug our life into I don't know where you're at tonight, but can I tell you, run to the Word of God. Run to His presence. Get alone with Him. I'm thankful for godly music. One of my favorite things to do in traveling is listen to godly music. We do it as we drive those hours. Boy, be reminded of how good your God is and how faithful He is. Uh, Brother Benjamin and I on the way to church this morning, I asked him, I said, what's your favorite? He said the song, uh, God's Been Good. And so we listened to it and encouraged me. It blessed my heart. Be reminded of that. Run to the outlet of God's presence, God's Word. Make sure you're in the outlet of God's will. Sometimes in life, I think we're discouraged because we're, we're, not, we're not in that perfect you know, agreement with the Lord and right where He wants us to be in our life. And you get out of His will, it will be a discouraging place. And so maybe tonight, just stop and say, Lord, am I, am I right where you need me to be? Have I stepped to the side or gone ahead of you? Lord, I want to be exactly where you want me to be, the outlet of God's will. And thirdly, the outlet of God's winning. I believe with all my heart, church, God intends for His people to live on the winning side. 
And the amazing thought is, church, this, this just is a wonder to me. Romans chapter 8 tells us that the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives in me. <laughs> can I tell you, church, tonight, if that spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, can win victory over the grave, he can win victory over absolutely anything in my life. Church, can I tell you, I, one of the things that the Lord's hit me with as we've traveled, you know, after the pandemic, there's a lot of discouraged children of God. A lot of children struggle, a lot, a lot of Christians that are struggling and wondering and dropping out of church and all those things. Can I tell you, church, God has given us a way to deal with discouragement. And I hope tonight the Lord will use this. Encourage yourself in the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Lord, encourage your people tonight. God, I don't know where folks are, where their lives are, the trials, the struggles, the doubts, Lord, the fears that have overcome them. I do know, Father, that in all of our life, there are times of discouragement, difficulties, Lord, financial struggles and health struggles, and sometimes we fall and we fail and we lose people or we lose our way sometimes. But help not a one of us to quit. Not a one of us. Lord, there's nobody in here that's too far gone. There's nobody in here that has made so many mistakes that you couldn't save them and you couldn't restore them and and, uh, or, or just get them back right with you tonight. Lord, help us to plug ourselves into these outlets, God's word and God's will and the winnings of our Lord. Father, encourage your people tonight from your word. I, I don't know where your people are, but I pray in a special way you'd use them tonight. Lord, use your word. Help us to run to it. Maybe somebody's thinking about quitting. They're on the last leg. They just can't take anymore. Father, I pray tonight's message you'd use it and the Holy Spirit would come alongside of your word and encourage your people to not quit. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. If you don't know the Lord as your Savior, in just a moment as a piano plays, we invite you to come. We want to show you that. I'd love to sit down and take a Bible, show you how to be saved. But church, maybe you're dealing with discouragement. In your marriage, in your family, boy, there's just hard times right now. And can I encourage you, just a moment, run to the Lord. I was listening a moment ago, the choir was practicing this song, Run to the Cross. Boy, tonight we ought to do that. Take our burdens, cast them upon the Lord, ask His help. We can pray with you or be a blessing to you. We'd love to do that tonight. Lord, move in our hearts, have your way. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.